I wished my garden were like the Garden of Eden. I have a very blissful imagination of what the Garden of Eden was like. Unlike my garden, which this week I chopped down weeds in my garden that were literally, I mean, had to be five feet tall in my garden. I haven't been in my garden in months and months and months. It's a mess. I have a, you know, I have this hillside and I've got these five terraced gardens going down. It's really kind of handy to be able to work at them from kind of countertop level. So it's kind of nice. I don't have to bend over a lot. But then the weeds are like way over my head and I'm chopping at the bottom, which is kind of interesting concept. But, but when I think about the Garden of Eden, I, I think of this place where it's just all is rest and peace. Don't you think of that? I mean, it's you and the little critters frolicking through the grasslands. Grass, by the way, that never needs to be mowed in my version of the Garden of Eden because all the little critters are nibbling it down to this perfect golf course type length and you just walk through and there are no weeds and, you know, you're just having fun together out there and you're picking what you want and you're just kind of going through. And I I feel like a little music from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs should be playing in the background. Little birds fluttering through. But I kind of think that's probably not what uh, it really was. In fact, I'm fairly certain that wasn't what it was. Uh, Because I know this, that it was work. It was work. It wasn't just, you know, laying on your back and letting grapes drop in your mouth kind of thing. It it was work. And and we know that because that's what Genesis uh, chapter 1 tells us. And let me just read a couple passages of Scripture from Genesis. Uh, Genesis 1, 27 and 28 says this. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And jump through another few verses and we get to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And we hear these words. And the Lord took the man... And put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. There is something about work right from the beginning of the creation story that that we need to kind of think about. And today, I I want us to just kind of focus on that thought. But what is it, God, that you're doing in and through me in my work? And, And what is this idea of work and how you value work? So I want to talk to you a little bit about that today. And I think the first lesson that we learn from all this is that, is that we find fulfillment in work because we were wired for it. We were wired for it. You see, we were made in the image of God who worked. You are maybe don't know all the creation story, but I mean, but you get the idea. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And so we go through and you read through the Genesis chapter 1 and you say, on the first day he did this and on the second day he did that and on the third day he did this and, 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 and all this creation was going through. And, you know, he was really proud of himself. Did you know that? In, in a very humble way. He got done with each day and he said, wow, that was pretty good work. That, that was pretty good stuff, you know. And, and, and so he goes through all the six days of creation. However that all happened, I, I, I'm just, you know, I'm kind of the guy. I just believe God did it. I don't know how he did it. 
how long it took him, what it all worked out to be, but, but I know he did it, and, 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 and it was good work. And I know this, uh, it said on the seventh day that God rested from all his labors. He rested from his work. And, and you see, that's kind of important to me because, because we get this idea to say, we were made in the image of a God who works. If we are made in his image and work is part of what he does and who he is and part of his character, then it probably is also part of who we are. And it, and it ought not to surprise us that, that we have something in us that, that feels good when we're being productive, when we're doing things in life. And we were created with a task, and that task was to work. In Genesis chapter 1, 28 again, it says, God created man in his own image, the image of God he created. And the male and female created, he blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, increase, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that's in it. Thank you very much. I'm excited too. And the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. They, they had a task to do. They were to work. Now, interesting passage of Scripture. If you go from that to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, you, you perhaps remember what it says there. It says, For we are God's workmanship. Again, He's working. We're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, so God has this stuff that he has for us to do, and, and he's created us that way. He's wired us to think our fulfillment, understand that it comes out of work, and that's okay. And, and he's created us to do work, and, and he has been thinking about this for a very long time. You get that? And, and I, wanna, I don't want to just tell you that, that we are always going to get our most fulfilled feelings out of when we are accomplishing the work that God has given us to do. And in passing, let me just tell you this. We need workers in the church, right? This service, you got invited to volunteer with uh, Military Parent Relief. Uh, first service, you got invited, if you want to as well. We need help Wednesday nights with our dinners, and those are some places we need work. But can I just tell you this? The big work that God has created you to do and called you to do is not within the walls of the church. You, you understand that? I mean, I need your help, want your help. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good. But really what God has created and made you to do has so much more to do with who you are out in the world, not, not doing a ministry as such, but just doing life. Do you understand? I mean, this is a great freedom that you have in this sense to say that God has created you to just work, just to be, to, to go out there and be who he called you to be. You know, all these people, most all the people we walk through and read through and we talk about all the people that Jesus impacted, all the people that he, you know, healed them and saved them and transformed their lives and did all this stuff. You know what? I, very few of them ever became preachers, Sunday school teachers. They were just fishermen and People are going about their jobs. They're doing business. Lydia was this business lady. She was, you know, sold fabrics of purple and whatever, you know. She, they were just people just being faithful in the work that they had, that God had given them to do. And that, you get that. There is fulfillment that comes from that. Because God wired you to labor. God li- wired you to work. And that's okay. 
Because it's who he is. It's who he made you to be. Well, the second lesson is this. Is that God gives each of us work in proportion to who we are at any given time in our lives. In any particular time in our lives. That, that he, doesn't, he doesn't always give us what we think we ought to have. Or he doesn't give us more or less than what we ought to have or need to have. He gives us what we need at the particular time that we need it. See, when God created Adam and Eve, he gave them authority over the entire earth. You understand this? He gave them authority over the entire earth. He said, you go, be fruitful, multiply, rule. You get this? Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the animals in the land. Rule over it all. You are, as I think there's a game, I don't know what it is, and so don't take me theologically out of context here, but he said, you are the masters of the universe. Kind of, or at least of earth. He said, rule over it all. You, you guys, you have all authority, all power. You, you just, I don't know what that been like. I think if I'd been out fishing, I'd just said, okay, fish, jump in the boat. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if he ate, you know, they were, maybe they were all vegetarians back then. I don't know. You know, but he says, you have all authority, all power. You, I mean, you've got it. And then we come to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, you have all authority over all the earth. And he puts them in the little bitty garden. I feel like that was the, the uh, oh man, I'm thinking of all the characters, Jasmine and Aladdin, you know. He's all the power of the world in this little teeny jar. <laughs> I, I mean, that's kind of what this is. I mean, this is God saying, you have all authority over all the earth. You've got it all. And you can do it right here in the garden. Now, there's something funny about that, isn't there? Am I the only one that thinks that's funny? I mean, really, I mean, you've got it all. You have all authority over all things, all places, but I'm going to put you in this little garden. But I think there's something to that. And because God knows who we are. He knows the place that we are. And, and, and you get this thing, and you know what? He knows what we can handle. He knows what we can do. And, and he puts us in those places at those times that make sense for us. Because, you know what, if he'd have, if he'd have dumped them and said, okay, all the world is yours, take care of it, make it all happen, they'd have gone. Uh, uh, instead, he put them in the garden and said, work it. Take care of it. Hmm. Usually we get to a couple of responses to that. Sometimes we say, God, why aren't you giving me more to do? You've just told me I'm the master of the universe. Well, under you, of course. But, I mean, next to you, I'm the guy. As there was only Adam and Eve, so that kind of makes sense. But Why aren't you giving me more? I've got skills, and I've got talents, and I've got abilities, and I've got passion, and I've got training, and I've got all this stuff. Now, why am I in this particular place right now in my life? Anybody ever said that? We've all said that. When am I ever going to get my big break? When am I going to get that spot? When am I going to get that job? And in that process, we get into these conversations with God where, where we begin to evaluate what we're doing and who we are personally based on the loftiness of our job description. And we think, if I don't have that big job, then what I'm doing is not really important. If I'm just doing this little thing over here, it's not really all that important. If I'm, if I'm just over here, that's not all that important. And, and just, you know, for grand general speaks... In our own societal world, we kind of upgrade or degrade particular 
occupations, professions, or such on some kind of scale about what's really, really important. And so we kind of pass through much of life thinking, well, if I can just get past this point, then you know that this is a stepping stone to that, which is a stepping stone to that, and then then I'll get to the really important stuff. And we get into weird places with that. We get into weird places emotionally with that. We get into weird places relationally with it. We get into weird places with God over that kind of stuff. Like, God, why aren't you using me? Why aren't you doing something? You know, it's kind of like the technology that broke down today. <laughs> it, it just froze back there. He's just like, I'm pushing all the buttons. I'm turning it on and off, and it's just frozen on the same screen. I went back to look. <laughs> And sometimes we're like that in life. We say, well, God, why don't I have a job? You know, many of us are unemployed and we're, we're trying to find a, a position. We say, God, you know, I've got these skills and talents. Why don't I have a job? Or maybe you just graduated from college or you're about to and, and you're like, <laughs> you know, I'm just doing whatever. And why don't I have a job in my field or things like that or Maybe you're underemployed, overemployed, whatever. You know, maybe, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you're going, you know, I got this degree and now I'm taking care of my child. And I don't know. We get into weird conversations and, and we forget maybe sometimes God just has us in a place for a certain season of time for a reason. Maybe there's something there that we don't know and understand that, that maybe God is doing. And, and I think we see that in the context of what he's talking to talking to us about when he places Adam and Eve, masters of the universe, if you will, into the garden, this little place. And he just says, take care of it. Work it. And do what you have there. Just be faithful. Which leads me to my next lesson. <laughs> lesson three is this. Is that God desires faithfulness in the work entrusted to us. This is kind of the text that you'll be looking at, this Matthew 25, 14 through 30. You'll be looking at that in your study today or this week as you go through it. But, but it's, the, it's the story of, of Jesus uh, telling this parable. A parable is a, a story with a lesson attached to it. And he, he's talking about these talents. And, and he says to, says to the listeners there, he says... You know, to one he gave, you know, five talents, another he gave two, and another and he gave one. And, and, and then he went away on this long journey, and he came back, and, and he said, come, give me an accounting of what you've done. And, and a couple of the ones that came back, uh, he came back, and the first two had done well. They had, you know, multiplied what they had been given, and, and he said, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And and one of them didn't do so good. And, you know, they, uh, he lost what he had. And it was given to another. And, you know, I, I was, uh, didn't have this in my notes. And, and I would, but I was thinking, uh, as I was in between services and going on, I was thinking, you know, there, there is something about faithfulness that is much more important than the actual job that you're doing. And it was true for Adam and Eve, even in the garden there, that, that faithfulness thing to just take care of it. And they just had one big rule. <laughs> Don't mess with the tree of life. You know, just, 
knowledge of life. Just let that one go. And there was a faithfulness factor that, that ended them up in a place where the, the ground didn't cooperate with them any longer. It did bring back up thistles and thorns, and they did have to work it. And there were, there were things there. And, but over and over in Scripture, we hear the same message that just says, just be faithful in the little things. Just be faithful in the little things. And that's truly an important part of who and what we are. It tells us in, in Matthew uh, uh, chapter 25 there, in verse, I think it was verse uh, 19 or something like that, it says that God gave them responsibility, gave them money in accordance with their abilities. So, so when he gives us this stuff, he, he's not giving us more than we can handle. He's not giving us less than he can, we can handle. He gives us according to what he knows about us, according to our abilities. And he asks us if we'll be faithful with those things. And if we are faithful, what he gets back, what you get at the end of this, is that our faithfulness leads to greater responsibility. But I think the lesson we take out of this is this idea that says he gives us more responsibility as we are prepared for more responsibility at that particular phase of our life. doesn't mean you always do the same thing. Who you are and what you are is always in flux. It's always growing and developing. But faithfulness is what he looks for. And sometimes that faithfulness comes in the smallest of things. Things that no one else sees. There are tons of stuff that happens in life that no one sees, no one understands, but it still matters to God. I like the passage in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42. It says, If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. There was something about just even the little things that make a difference in God's eyes. Your work, uh, whether you feel at this lofty, grand kind of thing or whether you feel pretty humbly about your work, it's all important to God. The little things, they make a difference. last thing I would share with you is this, is that you are a difference maker in your world. You make a difference in who and what you are. It is one of those kind of concepts to say whether or not you ever speak a word, whether or not you ever get up and thump your Bible, whether you ever say anything or do anything in some visible kind of way, you are still a difference maker in your world. I, I like what Matt, John, or Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, 16, says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness... How can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. It says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men, do people put a lamp, excuse me, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before me so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. There is something about how you do whatever it is that you do that brings praise back to God. 
And in that same process, you are a blessing to others by being who God made you to be. I, I love that passage of Scripture where it says, it says you, you don't light a lamp and then cover it up. You, you light the lamp and you set it on its stand. And in that place, what does it do? It, it brings light to everyone that's surrounding you. You understand that? It brings light to everyone. It brings light to the believer and the non-believer. It brings light to the faithful and the non-faithful. It brings light to the just and the unjust. It, it brings light wherever you take it because you are living out your life in God in the various places where you find yourselves. Whether that be in an office or out work in construction or in a home or in school or wherever it is you are. Just being you present in that place brings light to those around you. You living how you live, whether or not you ever say anything real directly to anyone or not, also brings praise to God. I've shared this with you several times. This idea of saying... You're in this workplace, and you may be surrounded with people who are very far from God. But I want to just tell you, when something breaks down in their life, who are they going to call? Not the Ghostbusters. <laughs> who are you going to call? I know, I was thinking that too. They're going to call you. They're going to call you and say... Would you pray? I don't know how to pray, but would you pray? I know you pray. There is something about that whole life that's lived in front of God and people that changes those around you. You have power and influence like you cannot imagine. And you may take a abuse for it. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's not always easy. I mean, people know who you are. I just, I talked to somebody in between services and, and they just, I asked them how things are going. And they said, you know, it's going really good. This has been one of the greatest years of my life. And he began to tell me about his work situation and, and he's working there. And, you know, he's like, I pray before my meals and I can't say anything because I'm in a city job and they won't let me do any of that kind of stuff. But, but they know the difference. It's just simple life lived out in front of people. I was at a conference years ago, and I'm going to really date myself here. In 1976, I was in Urbana. Actually, Urbana 76. It was a InterVarsity missions conference. And Billy Graham was the speaker, which is going to date me again. And... Uh, I realized this morning, in the middle of the night, I think of weird things in the middle of the night. I'm laying in bed thinking about, let's see, 1976, Billy Graham is 93. So I was trying to do my math back a little bit. And I realized that Billy Graham would have been almost exactly my age right now when he spoke at that conference in 1976. I'm 58, in case you didn't know that. And so, I, so I'm, looking, I'm, I'm looking on this and I'm thinking, oh... You know, when he was there speaking at the conference, I thought he was older than dirt. And I'm thinking, that's me now. I don't know. He, he could barely make it up the stairs. He'd been really sick, so I will give him that one. But, 
But, I, but he said something there that has stuck with me. I was a junior in college at the time. And, and he said something that just stuck in my mind. And he said, he said, if it were not for the influence of Christians in our world, where would our world be? If it were not for the, the morality and the ethics of Christians just in the workplace, doing what they do in the world, where would our world be? We are the salt of the world. We are seasoning, preservative. I mean, and he was kind of preaching that direction. He said, but for, <laughs> but for us, uh, we would be disasters. We'd be rotten. I mean, we think that life is bad. Just think what it would be like without all the Christians in the world. I, I mean, he, he was just kind of talking about that. And I, and I just want to share that with you to say, you, in your workplace, in your situation, whatever it is, whether you think it's some lofty position that you hold or something that you think, oh man, it's just drudge work, why am I having to do this? I'm just telling you, you can make a difference. You are making a difference and you probably don't even know it. Just by how you function in that work environment. You are. You see, God has made us not the masters of the universe. But he has given us authority over all this stuff. And truly, he has planted each of us in a little garden somewhere. Each of us has a garden. Our own little garden of Eden, if you will. And the question as we go through this series about work and all of that is to say, what are you going to do in your garden? Uh, how are you going to function in that garden? Are you, are you going to embrace your garden? Wherever he has placed you and planted you at this time and this season of your life. Will you just embrace that garden? And what does he want of you in that space? You don't have to rule over all the earth. You just have to work the garden. Work that little portion of all of this big thing that God has given you. School, home, office, PTA meeting, grocery store, whatever it is. Your garden. Where's your garden? That's the question. Where's your garden? And will you embrace it? We're going to sing a few songs. We're going to give you a chance to respond. If you, if you want to come pray, if you want to write something on one of the boards or out there, if you want to get on your phones and post something on the Facebook page, you're welcome to do that. God has placed you where you are for a reason. And we either keep pushing that away or we embrace it. I hope that today you will embrace the place he's put you. That doesn't mean you're always going to be there. <laughs> it's a season. But in this season, will he find you faithful in that place where he has planted you? That's all he asks of us. Amen? As we sing... You're welcome to respond as you'd like.